Yeah, what uh, what happened before? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> it's like hello hello anyone what there is, that was so weird i'm not sure what the heck's going on <laughs> uh, no but i think that no that was no that was awesome um yeah I, so i kind of want to go into a little bit more detail about that um real quick i know i we just starting this i'm just starting the podcast um i don't want to make you repeat yourself but just give a real quick brief overview about who you are and what you do absolutely yeah um um, I am uh, a professor, an associate professor at Nova Southeastern University. It's in Davie, Florida, right outside of Fort Lauderdale. Uh, our program, or at least my research agenda, focuses on uh, – we've looked at high-protein diets over the last almost decade-ish. Uh, we're currently focusing now on the role of creatine, on brain function, also looking at things related to CTE. Uh, we've looked at um, – uh, UFC fighters, uh, former football players, soccer players, to see if there are any differences in in cognition uh, as it relates to the fact that contact sport athletes might be slightly different than those who, who do not compete in contact sports. One of the really cool things we found is that uh, we, we did a study looking at the Division II soccer players at our university, compared them to uh, female controls who are highly active. And we found that their levels of uh, protein called neurofilament light that's higher in these soccer players. And this is indicative of possible brain injury. And we're talking about young, young oh, girls who are wow. like eight, yeah, 18 to 21. And, and you know what's funny about soccer is it's the only sport where you purposely use your head to hit, hit an object. In fighting, you can't headbutt. In football, you're not allowed to spear. In soccer, you're allowed to use your head to hit a ball that's traveling at 20 to something miles an hour. So... Mm -hmm. Um, believe it or not, those head contacts are not good for your brain. <laughs> They're just not. Uh, <laughs> in fact, you know, the moral of the story is don't use your head to hit anything. That's really what it is. Do not use your head. Um, so we do a lot of that at Nova Southeastern University. We have a great lab. We have a great research team. Um, the other thing that I, I've been doing really for quite a while, almost two decades, is I run the International Society of Sports and Nutrition. I'm, the, uh, I'm a co-founder. I'm the current CEO of it. Uh, we, uh, our annual conference is every mid June. In fact, next uh, year we'll be at Daytona beach, Florida. It's a beautiful beach, better than the beaches in Nebraska. I assure you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> uh, uh, wait, what city in Nebraska are you in? Uh, so I, my wife and I live in a real small town right outside of Omaha. So we live in a town called Wahoo. <laughs> Wahoo. Yeah. I lived in Kearney, so Oh, no shit. Uh, oh, my God. That's funny. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I taught for two years at University of Nebraska in Kearney. And um, yep. there was a – it's funny. My wife and I would be like, hey, let's go to the beach. But the beach was really like some dirt next to a pond. But it was like <laughs> everyone went there. It's like, yeah, let's go to the beach. So we'd bring our lawn chairs out. We'd sit there, and there'd be this – basically a pond. But, the pond, you know, the water was actually quite nice, to be honest. So uh, Where would you, where, you guys go? Do you remember? Oh my God, Carney is so tiny. If you named it, I I'd probably. Know. Oh yeah. I don't know any wild. of the lakes around there. I just know like there's like Lake McConaughey out in Ugalala. Uh, uh, I bet that I went to that once. I actually went water skiing there with uh, one of my uh, fellow faculty members. But uh, but I, I mean, Carney was nice for a couple of years. But to be honest, neither of us like cold weather. We we're like we need to go somewhere warm. We're just not into this cold stuff. Oh really? Um, yeah. so, 
That's how my <laughs> wife is right now. So it's funny you say that because there's snow outside. We got about three inches of snow the other day. It's like 10 degrees and my wife's starting to get sick and she's like, I'm ready to move. <laughs> well, uh, there's about a 70 degree difference between where you are and where I am. So you can yeah. tell your wife that uh, or maybe not. <laughs> She'll probably be like, uh, why aren't we there right now? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, that's yeah. Funny. Um, so, yeah, so for everybody listening, the ISSN is, you know, you guys, like, uh, I was I was going through this on the Instagram Live, but you guys, thank you so much. You put out so much good information about, I mean, everything related to sports nutrition. Um, you know, I feel it was me, you know, whenever someone asked me about where to find information, you guys are one of my number one resources. So I just want to say thank you for putting all that stuff out. Oh, hey, thank you. And also just uh, for your listeners, we uh, – oh, let me backtrack. It is – almost impossible to keep up with the amount of information published in sports nutrition. It's hard for people who actually work in it and scientists. It's, right. Oftentimes I rely on friends who do research in a particular field and I email them and say, Hey, what do you think of this? I know you guys are doing this. Could you just sort of give me the update? Um, the best way to keep up if, cause none of us have time, particularly if you're not a scientist, you don't have time to read everything is our position papers, if you go to JISSN.com, we have a bunch of position papers which, which summarize the literature very nicely so that you don't have to read like 10 or 20 papers on creatine or actually you could literally read 500 papers on creatine or 500 papers on caffeine. We summarize it nicely for you so that you have sort of these bite-sized nuggets where you can give advice to people. And and because people always say, well, you know, there's so much stuff out there. What am I supposed to read? I'm like – you know, you're right. There is so much stuff. I can't even read it all. So read the position papers. It's the best way to to learn and stay abreast of the new information. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I want to get right into it. We talked about creatine a little bit on the Instagram live. I want to get into yeah. protein. Um, I'm a big advocate for, for protein. Um, I feel like it's probably the, one of the number one things people lack in their diet. Um, for those of you who are listening and think I'm a big vegetarian or, or big vegetable guy, I'm, I agree. Like people got to get vegetables, but um, you know, people, you know, they're not consuming enough protein in their diets. And so I want to kind of talk to you about it. What is the research saying currently about how much protein a, you know a certain individual or a male should take? An active male, female. I you know everyone's kind of familiar with the one to two, one to six ratio. Um, so. Yeah, I think, um, um, and I'm going to focus on people who exercise. Um, people yes, who don't do anything, sedentary people. In a way, it doesn't matter because they're just going to eat their normal diet. Even if it's crappy, they'll probably get enough protein. So let's look at people who train. Now, most organizations, the ISSN, the American College of Sports Medicine the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, they tend to fall, the protein recommendations tend to fall within a range of, uh, let's say 1.4 to maybe up to two grams per kilo. Um, and in general, that's fine. If you're a recreational exerciser, that should be fine. Now, there are people who are highly competitive athletes, whether it's the run, bike, swim sports, or the strength power sports, or even the physique sports. And for those, I recommend for both guys and girls. And, and I don't make a sex difference in terms of should guys or girls take more or less. To me, it's, it is a goal issue. It depends on what your goal is. So if you're in the strength power sports, I think you should get at least one gram per pound or 2.2 grams per kilo. And to me, that's the base. That is not what you strive for. That is your, your floor. So 2.2 grams per kilo is your bottom and work up from that. Um, because I think at the end of the day, most sports, you don't have – 
and this is where I, I differ from a lot of clini clinicians. A lot of them will limit protein and then say, get all your carbs and fat, when in fact, most athletes don't burn that much energy training. Um, bodybuilding training, even if someone's a bodybuilder, they think they work out hard, energy expenditure is not that high. Sure, you'll, you'll deplete glycogen a little bit from doing X number of sets or whatnot, but that glycogen's easily replenished from a, a, a regular diet. Right. So for them, getting enough protein, a gram per pound, and then backfill the rest of your diet with carbs and fat. Now, what's interesting is if you were to compare the extremes of uh, athletics, let's take the extreme endurance athlete versus the extreme strength power athlete, I would venture that for the endurance athlete, and let's take someone who runs a 10,000 meter or competes in a half marathon or marathon, they are beating their bodies up a hell of a lot more than anyone lifts weights. Why? Because the volume of exercise they do is so high. In that case, they need to consume protein, obviously not for hypertrophy. They're, they don't want to gain weight. They need it to recover. And they need it to recover because the next day, if you've run, let's say, 10, 10K one day, and then the next day you got to run, you know, 16K, you got to recover. And and part of that recovery is not only high protein in intake, but also in, in a high carbohydrate intake. But, but those guys eat such a volume of food that I think they can meet their carbohydrate intake. So in general, for people who train, uh, let me backtrack, for people who train seriously and have a goal, I think 2.2 grams per kilo should be the starting point, and then you could move up from there. Now, people say, well, are, is there any harmful effects, you know, if you go higher than 2.2 grams per kilo? And We've done studies in our lab uh, up to two years. We followed bodybuilders up to two years who consumed uh, three grams per kilo. And no effect on kidneys, no effect on liver. Everything is fine. Their blood lipids are clean. Nothing. Um, wow. So this idea that it causes harm is just, I mean, it's just total horseshit. It's people making stuff up. And, you know, it's funny. You go on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and it's like, this is what's really weird. I don't know if you've noticed this, but... If you look at the three macros, carbs, protein, fat, protein is the only one that, that so-called experts will purposely limit. They say, well, once you hit 1.8 grams per kilo, stop. Well, okay, well, I got to eat something, so I stop, which means now I can eat carbs and fat. Right. Now, do I expend enough energy to, to require that many carbs and fat? Uh, probably not, because most of us don't expend that much energy, even if we think we work out hard. We're not really expending that many calories. Um, so why not go air on the higher side of protein? Because even if you elevate protein more, it is very difficult to gain fat mass um, on, that, on that extra protein. And we've, you, you may be familiar with some of the uh, two-month studies we've done where we've just given guys and girls a lot of protein, and they just don't gain fat. If anything, they lose fat mass. So, right. um, you know, air on the higher side. And so a lot of people will argue that a higher protein intake, you're only going to be able to absorb and ingest so much, and the others are going to be converted into carbohydrates. What is your – how do you go about that argument? Well, if you consume a higher protein diet or a high protein diet, um, because you can't store protein, more often than not, you're just going to oxidize the rest. I mean none of it gets wasted. You use it as fuel. Um, there's no, there's no, no one knows the limit in terms of how much protein you can consume per meal. Um, although there's data, some of the acute muscle protein synthesis data showing that roughly at about 40 grams per meal, uh, muscle protein synthesis tends to top off. Um, 
But it doesn't mean taking in more than 40 grams per meal is a waste of time. You still use it as fuel. You still need you still you still need ATP to 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 be alive. So right. um, you're not going to you're not going to get fat, certainly with that extra protein. Yeah. And that's what people don't understand. You know, I tell them, I'm like, well, we need to be eating more protein. You know, with someone who has some research or, or, or you know, they have some knowledge of like, well, isn't it just going to get oxidized and then, you know, convert it to carbohydrates? Well, yeah, but you're still going to use that. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's not a waste. And so people think of it like a waste and I'm like, eh, it's not necessarily how it works. And again, if they're active, they're probably more than likely going to use it anyway. Yeah. And you know, it's yeah. funny, this whole idea of a waste, I mean, What's interesting, the human body, um, we're built to survive. So that's why it's very easy for us to store fat because it's a survival mechanism. That's why if you eat too much, too many calories, particularly in carbs and fat, we store it as fat because who knows, the next famine might come and I got to live off my fat stores. Now, luckily in the modern world, we don't have to worry about starvation for the most part. We're worried more about obesity or getting too fat. Right. Now, if, if, if you're, let's say, <laughs> I always try, I try to teach uh, my students the the notion of trying to understand humans from an evolutionary standpoint. If you go back, uh, let's go back uh, before the agricultural revolution. So that would be, let's go back farther than 10,000 years ago. So humans were primarily hunter-gatherers. They were nomadic. They, they existed in tribes, and the tribe, you know, when you were part of a tribe, you protected each other. But, but what the hell did you eat? Well, there wasn't a refrigerator. You had to kill an animal, right? You are not going to get enough calories walking around looking for berries to eat particularly if you live in the north imagine living in a northern climate as a human 20,000 years ago there's nothing to eat unless oh, you kill an screwed. animal <laughs> you're screwed right it's not like you live right. in some island in the tropics where you could eat fruit off a tree right so you live in the northern climates you're like damn we need you know we need to kill an animal we need to kill a deer or something to eat so you've been let's say and I would say back then they intermittently fasted and it wasn't on purpose. It was because they had no food, you know? Right. So they were super lean. Yes, yeah, like, yeah, because I haven't eaten in like 48 hours, so I better, you know, catch a deer. So imagine this, you haven't eaten in, in two days. You're starving like crazy. You go hunting with your caveman buddies, you kill a deer, and you're like, holy crap, we get to eat now. Now imagine your caveman buddy saying, you know what? 30 grams of protein, that's all you need. Don't eat any more of that deer meat. And so you get into a fight with your caveman buddy. Now, obviously, that's ridiculous because if you're starving, your body has a mechanism to use all that. So when you started eating all that deer meat, your body's like, thank you. Give me calories because I need right. calories to be alive. So the notion that, you know, when you hit 30 or 40 grams, it's like, okay, your body's done. It doesn't know what to do. It's like, no evolutionarily your body is is built to take in what you put into it why because it wants to survive right um so instead of always you know people tend to always look at things from a sort of body comp body composition point of view or a sports point of view sometimes looking at it from an evolutionary survival point of view and in that case oftentimes the things we do actually make a lot of sense yeah and i agree with you 100 percent. and the, you know what's really funny about it as i'm sitting here th thinking while you're talking is I remember when I was in school and I was taking, you know, my intro to nutrition classes, my, you know, my advanced nutrition classes, every single textbook that was in my undergrad was the protein requirements, one to two to one to six, you know, even yeah. my NSCA certification, it was one to two, one to six. If they're super active, it's around the two point, you know, the, you know, the two range. And so again, you know, textbooks can be misleading, you know, but again, they're going on a based and general consensus. You know. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. And uh, 
And you know what's interesting is if you, uh, like for instance, the ISSN position stand on protein, if you go, if you go strictly on the data, you know, the data says, you know, somewhere around 1.5 to 2.0. That's what the data says. Um, however, what's interesting, if you ask the individual authors of that paper, I bet you a lot of them actually recommend much higher doses. Why? Because it's okay to err on the high side because there's no, there's no drawback to it. You know, I always say, if it helps or has a neutral effect, do it. Can eating more than two grams per day, two grams per kilo per day help? Uh, yeah, it might help body composition, might help recovery. Will it hurt? No. So what's the harm? So even though we, we I would say use science as sort of a roadmap. So here's your roadmap. This seems to work for most people, but it's just a roadmap. It doesn't mean you have to stay on that road all the time. As scientists, we have flexibility. It's like, okay, well, you know, your, your grandma, you know, I guess if all she can do is 1.8 grams per kilo, that's great. But hey, that super highly trained bodybuilder, maybe he should be on 2.5 grams per kilo, per kilo per day. So, Right. And again, people just take things way too literal. I mean, you give them, you know, you give them a knife, they're, you know, they want to cut with it versus something else. You yeah. know. Um, exactly. It's, it's so true. Um, so uh, I kind of want to go into our one question I had was in regards to the amount or the, I guess the bioavailability of when you're when you're consuming your proteins you know for people who don't know a whole lot about bioavailability kind of go into detail what that means and then branching off that what you know why why eat red meats versus white fish why eat why, why eat both why eat chicken versus turkey or vice versa Can you kind of go into detail about that yeah you know what's uh, what's interesting about the bioavailability availability argument i remember when i first took nutrition way back when uh, people like talking about bioavailability or the biological value of proteins. Some people use the PDCAS system, but a lot of it was based on the, the amount of certain essential amino acids within that protein. Now, the problem, the problem with looking at protein in that fashion is that very few of us eat just protein. In fact, the only time we eat just protein, at least in some people, is post-workout. Some people post-workout, all they do is consume protein. But every meal that we consume as humans is a mixed meal. So there's carbs, fat, and protein. So questions of bioavailability, I think, uh, I think don't necessarily – it's not really a pragmatic way of looking at it. However, the way to look at it is if you are on a lower-calorie diet or you don't necessarily eat a high volume of food, protein quality does matter. So if you're going to compare animal-based proteins versus – uh, uh, plant-based protein, so really like soy versus milk-based. The milk-based proteins or animal-based proteins are better than the plant-based proteins. We know that. However, if, if you're a vegan or vegetarian, how do you make up for that? Well, you can make up for it by volume. Now, to me, the bioavailability argument doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, you're only interested in two main things. One, gaining lean body mass improving and, and improving body composition or just improving recovery. And those things, in a sense... You can't use protein in isolation to explain that because we eat mixed meals. So, uh, but as a generality, definitely animal-based proteins are better. You might say they're more bioavailable than plant-based proteins. But if you eat enough food, I mean, if you're eating enough plant-based stuff, you'll get it. And the problem is you're getting a lot of calories too. So I hope you're expending a lot of energy if you're one of those vegans or vegetarians. Yeah, definitely. And what's it's funny you mentioned that because I don't know if you listen to Joe Rogan podcast at all. 
Um, I do. I actually, uh, <laughs> I was I was actually listening to it early this morning um, as I was drinking my coffee, um, you, getting ready you, to. Have you, have you seen the one with the guy from Game Changers and all that? You know, it's <laughs> that's one I have not seen only because I've been reading all the comments on social media on, on both sides and <laughs> and. And to be honest, it's like, well, I already, I, I sort of know this stuff already. I don't need to hear someone, so I'd rather see what other people think. But I have not listened to it. I have not listened. You, to it. You would love it, uh, and I, I, and the reason why I say that is, um, they both talk a lot about the research. It's very research focused. It's not yeah. just, it's not just opinion based. I mean, like the guy who, oh, man, I don't even remember his name, but the, one of the main producers who was the UFC fighter and all that stuff. I mean, he, he presents a great argument. You know, he provides all this, you know, all this quality research information, you know, publications, yeah. stuff like that. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm saying that is from a requirement standpoint, you know, I, the, you know, I was like, well, how much protein do I have in my PB&J right now? You know, I got four, four grams per slice. So there's eight. I put two tablespoons per slice. And so I think it was like. Oh man, I think it was like three, three grams or so, or maybe four grams per tablespoon. So mm -hmm. you know, eight plus, you know, four, you know, or, or what is that? Four, eight, 12, 16 plus eight. So we're almost, you know, we're pretty much past 24, 25. And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a post-workout smoothie, you know, I'm gonna it could be yeah, you know, 20 grams, 25 grams. And I'm like, well, plus I'm getting some sugars in my jelly and stuff, you know, which may not be the best, but I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I just fulfilled my, my protein requirements for a post-workout meal, you know? Right. Now, now the caveat to that is, um, if you are not expending a lot of energy, um, let's say you just live, like some people go to the gym and they do no cardio. Let's say they just live for 30 to 60 minutes. Energy expenditure is going to be really low. You're talking maybe 250 to 300 calories, maybe. And that, right. that's a big maybe. Um, would you be better off from a body composition standpoint consuming 200 calories of protein? Because a typical shake might be that, like one of those ready-to-drinks. Or I would guess a PB&J sandwich, if you were to consume that, it's probably a lot more than a shake. And if you do it chronically, would you be leaner just doing the shake versus the peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Now, it doesn't become an issue if energy expenditure is high. So let's say you, let's say you play uh, football, uh, college football, where – you're, you know, oftentimes doing two a days. Energy expenditure is super high, so in that case, you need both the calories and the protein. So, a lot of it depends on on the context of the athlete. Um, but yeah, a lot of people when they count protein, they often don't count like protein in nuts, protein in bread, protein in rice, because there's protein in all those foods. It may not be as high, but it's still in there. Right, exactly, and that's a big notion. I don't think a lot of people understand. You know, and another, you know, the whole other piece of the puzzle is well a question i guess well what is the quality of the protein in that bread or the quality mm -hmm. of protein in that peanut butter versus uh you know a, a you know a four ounce steak um, right you know so i mean i'm like well yes the steak's gonna have you know different you know different nutrient you know micronutrient qualities versus the peanut butter or the bread uh, but if right. you're talking just a protein standpoint and you're trying to just get your protein requirements you know you're yeah. kind of you're, you're kind of you know, in the ballpark are doing the same thing. So, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, 
Um, and so then kind of going into that, I want to go into, I want to go into, um, amino acids a little bit. Cause I do have a lot of people ask me if they should be on an amino acid supplement. I always say no, <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, you know, the first thing I do ask is, well, how much protein are you taking in? So can you, can you go, can you, can you kind of go into detail about your thoughts on amino acid supplements? Are they necessary, not necessary? And, and right. So no, this is actually, this is kind of an interesting question because, um, your last question, are they necessary? Um, and I don't know if that's a good way to phrase it be, uh, or frame the question because protein supplements aren't necessary. Oh, whey protein's not necessary. So when you frame it as a need, you could argue that none of these are needed right. at all. None of them are needed. So I don't like framing it as is it necessary. I would frame it as does it help you reach a particular goal? Now, it's funny. I've gotten these conversations a lot about you know amino acids, particularly the branch chain amino acids. Um, can you hear me, by the way? Because it says there's a poor connection on my side. Oh, yep. I sure can. Yep. Okay, cool. Um you know, should you take branched-chain amino acids? Should you take maybe extra leucine? Should you take glutamine or whatnot? And and sort of the fallback answer is, well, if you're getting adequate protein, you probably shouldn't. And in general, that's actually true. If you're getting plenty of protein, it's not necessary. Now, there are instances where, and I'll stick to uh, the branched-chain amino acids, and this is one probably that's most controversial, although it's not controversial to me, but it's controversial to a lot of people. 99.9% .9 of every expert on social media says it's a waste of money. And again, I don't like the economic argument, you know, of waste of money. To me, that's not a scientific argument. It's like saying, should I buy a Ferrari or should I buy a Toyota Camry? Well, a Ferrari is a waste of money. Well, I guess you're from point A to point B, right? They both do. So is Ferrari a waste, is Ferrari a waste of money? Well, not if I want to spend money on a Ferrari, right? So I don't like the economic argument either. To me, that's silly. It's like, oh, it's a waste of money, you know? So I remember when I was an undergrad, Taking multivitamins, well, that's a waste of money. I'm like, yep. well, it's my money. I could spend it however I want. So <laughs> let's let's eliminate the economic argument. Let's eliminate the need argument because technically we don't need any of this stuff. Let's deal with context and goals. Now, branched-chain amino acids. How do branched-chain amino acids compare to whole protein when it comes to muscle protein synthesis? The answer is it sucks. It might be maybe 50% of what a whole protein does. So if your goal is to enhance muscle protein synthesis, you're better off consuming whole protein, of course. Now, there are instances where uh, athletes may not be particularly interested in maintaining muscle protein synthesis. For example, if you're a, a distance athlete, let's say you're a cyclist and you compete in road racing events, cyclists are oftentimes on a bike for two to four hours. Now, are you going to consume whey protein in the middle of a bike ride? Uh, no, unless you want to ex unless you want to throw up, right? Because people say, "Well, just consume whey protein." I'm like, "You're not going to drink whey while riding a bike for four hours." So, right. why do they drink branched-chain amino acids? Because they do. A lot of these distance athletes do. Why? Well, one, it's palatable. It's it's fairly easy to drink. Uh, branched-chain amino acids, the when it's mixed with liquid, it's you know, it's it's not a thick thick uh, uh, drink like a protein drink. What do branched-chain amino acids do? Well, they decrease delayed-onset muscle soreness. So you feel less sore the next day. Why is that important? Because in sports where performance is a premium, being sore has absolutely no value. It's preferable you're never sore. Like, for instance, if you're a baseball player and you go to batting practice, being sore, that could screw up the mechanics of a swing. If you're a pitcher, being sore could screw up the mechanics of a pitch. 
you don't ever want to be sore. Now, someone could say, well, if they consume whey protein, would they be less sore? Well, yeah, but you're not going to consume whey protein while you're riding a bike for four hours. Right. So context matters. Now, there's also the argument, what I call the either-or argument, or the mutually exclusive argument. If you're getting protein, you don't need branched-chain amino acids. Well, again, you don't need either one. They're not mutually exclusive. Is it okay if someone says, you know what, I'm just going to suck down branched-chain amino acids because I don't feel like protein? Well, yeah. I mean, that's okay. It shouldn't be framed as sort of this, um, and, and, and I hate these, they have these weird hierarchies where, well, this is the best way to do it, so you've got to do it this way all the time. Well, what if you don't want to do it that way all the time? What is it that you have to, and hey, I'm a protein fan. Heck, I do research on protein. Right. But you got to, you know, you got to keep in context. What if I don't want to consume protein? It's like, yeah, okay, I don't, I don't feel like dealing with the, the mouthfeel, the thickness of it. I want more of a watery drink, in this case, with branched-chain amino acids. So there's, I think there's a role for any of these. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on glutamine just briefly. Like, for instance, glutamine. Most of the data shows, that eh, it's not going to do anything for people who work out. But maybe, just maybe, if you do some super crazy event, running a marathon, uh, maybe CrossFit, which, you know, in CrossFit, you're doing multiple events over the course of a weekend where you're beating the hell out of your immune system. Would glutamine help? Eh, it might help. Maybe you wouldn't. There's less of a chance of you getting sick. So why not take it? It's not going to harm you. Um, right. Certainly might help. So, again, context is everything. Um, I'm not one of those either or people. And I think it's a mistake to be so rigid in your view of, of when to take these things. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I'm a big advocate for your research because it's like, well, some people are more so on one side and they're going to do all their research on that to try to prove somebody right or wrong. Whereas, like, you're kind of, you know, back and forth, which, you know, you know which I think is great. Um, but again, yeah, I mean, I took, I know when I was in college, I took a glutamine supplement. I took a, you know, I took a branch amino acids. I still do. Um, but the biggest thing I look for is just the, the amount of leucine. I'm able to right. get, whether it's an amino acid or a whey protein supplement. Can you explain why that's important? Yeah, leucine, uh, and that actually is a smart thing to do. Leucine is the primary driver of muscle protein synthesis. So, And that's why when you compare, let's say, whey protein to soy protein or any plant-based protein, that loose, the leucine concentration tends to be a bit higher in the animal-based proteins. And that's typically why it works. So I've always told these plant protein manufacturers i'm like why don't you just add leucine to your protein hey, obviously the cost goes up and whatnot but in a way that could help equalize you know if you're consuming soy or rice or pea protein it could equalize what you find in let's say casein or whey or one of the animal-based proteins right. so but leucine yeah leucine is sort of the critical driving factor um, but obviously taking leucine by itself isn't the best thing mixing leucine with other amino acids we would be uh, probably the the best thing to do yeah, I, and I agree, you know, and, and for those of you who don't know a whole lot about it, I highly recommend do some research about it because, again, it's to me, it's the it's the number one factor when trying to choose a protein or amino acid. So, yeah, um, is there any is there any new research that you that, that you're doing or that you've come across about amino acid supplements and, um, you know, um you know, how much, you know, you know, what's their, what, what's their, what, what levels of amino acids are, are adequate? What aren't, cause I know what a lot of people are starting to do now is they're starting to add creatine in, or not creatine, sorry, caffeine into it to make it, you know, even that much more. Um, Interesting to adding to an amino acid like cocktail. 
Yeah, yeah. So like for example, like for like I know mine that I'm drinking right now, they have the regular amino acid supplement, and then they have the exact same thing except they just add caffeine into it. I've heard that huh. I've heard that people say that the added caffeine actually minimizes the effects that the that that the amino acids in this supplement are giving you. Do you know if that's true? Have you heard of that? The added caffeine, I'm, let me get this right. The added caffeine minimizes the effects of the amino acids. Is that yes. what you've heard? Yeah, yes. Uh, I can't imagine how that would happen. <laughs> right. I don't know. That doesn't even make any sense. I know. <laughs> whoever, right. told, whoever told you that is, that's horseshit. That's total horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and, and yeah, and, and yeah. And they were going into detail about, you know, if you're adding more and more stuff into something, then you're not going to, then it's, you're, you're going to get less of an effect off that dosage. So they just use caffeine as a reference, which it doesn't make sense to me. They kind of compared it to like a multivitamin if, you know, um, the relationship between cat or uh, calcium and iron. Right. Right. You know, they try well, to uh, I mean, adding, well, mixing caffeine and amino acids, um, you're still going to get the same effects from the caffeine and you're still going to get the same effects when, from the amino acids. There's no evidence at all to show that one interferes with the other. Uh, however, I mean, people are going to make claims like this in general about things in nutrition and, the first question I ask is, well, do you have data to, to support this? Because, I mean, as interesting as that sounds, I've never even heard of this. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I, I will touch on the essential amino acids. The um, And this is what's interesting. If you look at data comparing essential amino acids versus whole protein, gram for gram, if you were to get 10 grams of essential amino acids and 10 grams of whey, the essential amino acids work better um, in terms of muscle protein synthesis. So the question is, well, why don't you see why don't you see more products that are just essential amino acids? Well, number one, taste tastes like crap. Number two, cost it's cheaper just to have whey. So those two issues, it's like okay, well, instead of my ten grams of essentials, or actually I've seen as low a lower dose as three grams of essential amino acids having an anabolic effect. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, three grams. So, uh, but. It's cheaper if I just consume, you know, 20 grams of whey protein because that stuff is cheap. I mean, whey protein is a commodity. And that's why – and I remember this data. This is going back when I was a, a, a professor at University of Nebraska in Kearney. I remember reading data on essential amino acids. This is back in the late 1990s, thinking, wow, this stuff actually works really well. And to this day, it never caught on. And it's, you know, it's a flavor issue and it's a cost issue. Yeah, I mean, and I can attest for that. I know I when I go to buy buy a supplement, I'm like, well, I guess got to make sure it's got strawberry in it. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And you're right; it's a commodity, and a lot of people don't understand that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I uh, think we're about to wrap up here. I really appreciate you hopping on. Where can people sure. find find you? Find more information about you or research you're putting out. Yeah. The um, I think well, there's a few things. One, if you want to uh, learn the latest stuff in sports nutrition, sports science, the ISSN conference is every year mid June. Uh, this uh, next year, June 18 to 20, we're in Daytona Beach, Florida. So that's one. Uh, number two, I'm probably, yeah, make sure you're there. Cause you know what? The beach, bring the wife, you know, do you have kids? I don't. Oh well, yeah. Well, oh, I okay. do. I do. Uh, two, uh, two fur babies. Hey, well, 
Bring them to the beach. <laughs> oh, so, God. That would be a, a catastrophe. <laughs> they, would, they would be running around, jumping oh, in the ocean. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and in terms of social media, I'm actually on uh, – I'm on Facebook. Uh, ISSN, we have our own Facebook group page, which the discussions often <laughs> get rather rambunctious. Uh, yeah, have you noticed on social media, there's a lot of a lot of people just fighting. They just keep fighting. Oh, yeah, I love little... it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I get my popcorn out. I'm like, okay, what yep, are they going to say yep, now? I'm like, yep. oh, my God. Um, but I'm probably easiest to reach social media via uh, Instagram on the, uh, it's the underscore ISSN. Um, also, I post recent research on Instagram oftentimes on our page. So uh, go to that page. Um, and also, if you need to reach me at the university, uh, the web address for universe, uh, Nova Southeastern University is uh, nova.edu. That's N-O-V-A dot E-D-U. Uh, the website for ISSN is ISSN.net. That's ISSN.net. So hopefully I'll see you and your colleagues at an ISSN conference. We, um, um, we have several one-day workshops each year, but our big conference is always in Florida because everybody loves the beach. Oh, yeah, and they love Florida. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, Cole, I appreciate that. No, it was awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Sure, and you have a great afternoon in Nebraska. I will. I'll go have fun <laughs> in the snow. You go enjoy the beach. <laughs> That's right. Okay, buddy, thanks. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Bye. Okay, bye.